Thank you, worship team. Can we give it up for them one more time? Thank you so much for leading us. Proud, proud papa moment right there. Well, not papa, I'm not that old. Proud older brother moment right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time of worship. We thank you, God, that surely you took us from the grave. You took us from where we were in our brokenness, God. You poured your love over us. You brought us into your kingdom, and we thank you, God. And now we look to you. We look to your word. Speak to us. I pray that you would move on our hearts, move on my heart this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We're going to jump right in. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, then Jesus told them, and we'll stop right there. The ESV says, so Jesus told them, meaning there were Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners, but the grumbling of the Pharisees got, their attention, or got his attention. And in response, he gives them three parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep, where the man has 100 sheep, he loses one, and he leaves the 99 behind to find the one. He finds the one, brings them back, and there's celebration, and there's rejoicing. The second parable is the parable of the lost coin, where a woman has 10 coins, she loses one, she sweeps the entire house, and she finds that one coin, and she rejoices. And the third one follows suit for the most part. It's the parable of the prodigal son, where there's a son, and he asks his dad for the inheritance. He, he wastes all of it, and then he comes to his senses. He comes and returns to his father. The father, having found his lost son, rejoices with him. But there's a second part to this story that the other two parables don't really mention or don't talk about. And I think it's important to remind ourselves of this half of the story because Jesus, in addressing the Pharisees, and I also believe in addressing the sinners and the tax collectors, what he's saying to us is that we have to be careful that we don't adopt these Pharisaical attitudes or these attitudes that the Pharisees had that we find with the older brother. And so we begin in verse 25. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Again, there's a celebration because the younger son returned home. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. The servant said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, the fattened calf, is, it, it's... It signifies that there was a big celebration. This wasn't, hey, you know, good job today. We're going to go to McDonald's. This was, we're going to Fogo. If you guys haven't, you been to Fogo? Man, I've had, I've had the, the opportunity and the privilege to go many times. And if any one of you want to take me out again, I will not say no. But here's what happens with the older brother. When he realizes that his younger brother is being celebrated, verse 28 says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. You never even took me to McDonald's so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
And here's the first attitude that we see. He refused to celebrate. Or he was bitter. I can talk about bitterness because I know a lot about bitterness. At my age now, I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm kind of old. At my age now, I, I pretty much don't have a lot of bad days. Most things don't really bother me. I have hard days, just like anyone else. But I can't really remember the last time where I thought, man, today was a really, really bad day. When I was a kid, though, I had bad days all the time. And if I had a bad day, you see, now, even if I did have a bad day, you probably wouldn't know it because I probably wouldn't tell you about it. But back then, listen, I'm a musician, so I got this diva thing already in me, right? Back then, if I had a bad day, you would absolutely know that I was having a bad day because I couldn't hide it in my demeanor, you know, in my posture, in my face. Everyone would know if I was upset about something. And I think about a time in my life when I refused to celebrate with everyone else. And that was when my mom remarried. I had a really hard time when, when she was dating this man who I now call my dad. Thankfully, the Lord broke in and there's, there was tons of reconciliation. But I remember at one point I told my mom, Flat out, I must, I must have been maybe 10 or 11 years old, and I said, Mom, I don't want you to marry him. And thankfully, because he, he's the best thing that ever happened to our family, thankfully she didn't listen to me. But it took me a long time to figure that out. And so the night of the wedding rehearsal, we went out to this fancy restaurant downtown. I knew it was fancy because we grew up poor and they had silverware, and, you know, we didn't go to places that had silverware. We were, you know, it was plastic, paper plates and all that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And we're at this fancy restaurant, and I just couldn't take it anymore. The thought of this man coming into our lives, I didn't want it. And so here we are at this fancy restaurant, and I storm off, and I leave the restaurant. But not only did I storm off because, you know, diva here, I had to be extra, and extra just means you're over the top, you're, you know, you're dramatic. Not only did I storm off, here's what I did. They were sitting by the window, and so I walked around to the exit, I came around to the window, true story, and I sat down just to let them know, I'm right here, I'm mad, I don't want any part of this. And you know what? My parents did what good parents do. They just kept on eating. They, they looked at me. It was March. Listen, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They, they got married in March. So, you know, March in Chicago, it's cold. And I'm out there. I probably left my jacket. I probably didn't even have a jacket, whatever. And they're there, oh, eating their warm lentil soup. You know, they got their lamb kebabs. And I'm out there in the cold because I refused to celebrate what God was doing in their lives. And I think a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're like that. You know, you get on social media and you see just all kinds of silliness. Oh, look, there's a cute cat. Everyone's got to know. Let me share this. Let me like this post. Let me love this post. I, I don't understand some of these memes that I see. I'm like, why are you guys sharing this? It's pointless. But you feel this obsession to, to let everyone know that you like it or you love it or you give a little ha-ha, whatever they may be. And then there's someone that you used to know and, oh, they're having a baby. Well, I'll just keep scrolling, right? Oh, she, she got engaged? Um, I'm going to block her, right? Oh, they're getting married? Oh, oh they got another promotion? Uh, I'm going to report that because I don't want to see that on my feed. And we easily become bitter when we see God blessing other people in our lives. Sometimes the way our bitterness is exposed 
is when we see God elevate people to, to places that we feel should be for us. Again, if we're just being honest with ourselves. I remember a time in my life because I've, I've been part of worship teams for a long time and there would be times where I would be out there and I would think, how come I'm not on stage? And I would think, God, how are you using that person? And I see some of you guys, I'm not going to call you out by name, but sometimes when I'm leading worship and everyone's worshiping and I see some of you guys, you got your arms crossed. Well, I can sing better than Pastor Jason. <laughs> it, and you know what? Listen, listen, maybe you can. I don't doubt that because I don't think I have a very great voice anyways. So I don't doubt that, that you have a better voice than me. And so if you want to prove it, just audition. But guess who conducts the auditions? This guy. And it's going to be like the voice where you got to make me turn around. How am I going to turn? Oh, 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 you hit that. Oh, I'm turn oh, you hit that wrong note. Well, I got to turn back. And you don't, you don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be bitter because God's got enough blessings to go around. One of the the more recent things that I find a lot of believers are, have been bitter about or are bitter about is the recent confession of Kanye West, who is a famed rapper. And listen, I don't know his heart, and truthfully, I don't know your heart, and you don't know my heart, but he has professed in, in a public forum time and time again that he believes in Jesus. And so for me, my attitude, I believe our attitude should be, Praise God. And you know what? I don't know. Because so, I see this a lot on my, on my Facebook feed. I've, I'm in a group with a lot of um, worship leaders and, and musicians and singers who are part of worship teams. And I see a lot of hate from these people, from believers towards him. And, and they're just waiting for him to fall. And, and, and we say things like, oh, but you know, he still struggles with this. And he still struggles with that. And you know what? Then if that's true, then you and I got something in common with him. Because we still struggle. And we still sin. And we still fall short. And so I'm not saying put all your hope in celebrities who, who, who are now preaching the gospel. I'm not saying base your theology on what they're doing. I'm just saying that really the biggest difference between someone like me and someone like you and someone like Kanye West who professes to be a believer is that his everyday life is not on display for the public. Or it is, and, our, and ours is not, right? Our, our, what we do at home, what we do when we run errands, all of those things, it's not on display for everyone to see. But, but theirs, these celebrities, these, these mega church pastors, their lives are. And that's an incredible microscope. It's an incredible weight to be under. But for me, I have to believe that God can save them. And here's why. Because God saved me. And if you would know, if you knew or you found out some of the things that I used to do before I knew Jesus, you would probably think that I was disqualified to preach the gospel, that I was disqualified to talk about my love for Jesus, that I was disqualified to lead worship. And here's the biblical response. In Philippians chapter 1, this is Paul writing. And I love that, that the Bible addresses this directly. In chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, It is true 
that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now he's talking about I'm put in prison. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false, hear this now, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So the context, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church in prison. In prison, he gets reports from, from friends or, or co-workers or fellow servants, and they're saying, Paul, Paul, these people are preaching the gospel for their own selfish gain, but not only for their own selfish gain, but they actually want to in some way or form, and the Bible doesn't specifically talk about how that is, but in some way, shape, or form, they want to harm you while you're in prison. And I think they're waiting for Paul to, to get up and say, well, they can't be doing that. Well, let's pray and ask God to shut them down. And instead, Paul says, you know what? Christ is being preached. People are coming to know Jesus. They, they may have access or they may have, um, you know, streams that I can't get into. And so I'm going to rejoice in that. So the biblical response the mature Christian response, I believe, when we, when we hear of this, and I, I do honestly believe that there's this movement happening in Hollywood where God is saving people who are in the midst of that industry. I believe the biblical response is praise God. So that first attitude, bitterness. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. Again in verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. That first attitude, bitterness. The second attitude is this. He gave to receive. Selfishness. Entitlement. He was motivated by material blessing. The reason why he served, the reason why he worked for his father was to get something out of it. And can I tell you this? I've come to a point in my Christian walk, and I believe this is one of the greatest principles or greatest truths that believers can understand. If, if you want to make it for the long haul, if you want to gear up for the long haul in this Christian walk, you got to understand this. God doesn't owe you anything. Now hear what I'm saying. Does God want to bless us? Yes. Will God break through and fulfill his promises? Yes. Do I expect God to move in my life? Yes, I do. But it's out of his mercy and it's out of his kindness, not because he is in debt to me. Okay? He doesn't owe me anything. Because you can't, you could serve God the rest of your life and you'll never make a dent in terms of what he did for you. You understand? My wife and I, we bought a home uh, just a year and a half ago, and man, you know, we're putting a couple thousand dollars a month into this mortgage, and which is a lot of money for us, and it just feels like that number doesn't go down. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you have a car payment like that. It just feels like whatever we do, we keep putting money into this thing, and every time I look and see how much we owe, it's like, oh my gosh, we still owe that much money. It just doesn't go down. Can I tell you what 
what we owe God, what God did for us is more than a mortgage. It's more than a car payment. It's more than any of those things. Okay? But here's the amazing thing about God's love is that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay him back. You understand? And so when I serve God, my, my aim is to serve God out of love, not out of obligation. Right? I'm not trying to earn his love. I'm not trying to earn a blessing. I'm just trying to love on him the way that he loved on me. And I talk about how it's the difference between getting to do something versus having to do something. Right? My kids when they were younger, uh, my, my, my two or three kids are eight, seven, help me out, Susan, eight, seven, and five, I believe. And, and when, they were, when they were younger, almost seven, right? When they were younger, my oldest and my youngest, they would love to do laundry with me. You know, you, you separate the whites from the colors. You put them in. You get to pour the detergent. It's so fun. It's so amazing. You get to push the buttons. Guys, if this sounds awesome to you, there's a sign up in the lobby. Um, <laughs> and then as they do it more and more and more and as they get older and as they find out about iPads and cell phones, all of a sudden it's not about getting to do laundry with dad. It's having to do laundry. And again, I think if we're being honest, we come into the kingdom, we realize our brokenness, we realize where we were at and how God saved us, and we're so eager to serve in any way possible. I'll be an usher, I'll be a greeter, I'll be on the worship team. But then as time goes on, we feel like we're deserving of more, and instead of serving out of love, we're serving out of obligation, we're serving to get something from God, and all of a sudden, serving becomes a chore and church, when serving Jesus becomes a chore, you got to be really careful about where you're at. And so when it comes to ministry, I remind myself that I get to do this, that I've been invited to do this. And I'm, I'm being very real with you guys. When I first started here, that first Sunday, I came in, I stopped at the lobby there, and I just took a deep breath. And I just thought, God, this is so amazing that this is now my job. And there's parts or there's, there's times where throughout the years it feels like I have to do that. And, and I feel the tenderness of God to redirect my, my line of thinking where he says, Jay, no, 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 go back to that place where you're doing it out of love. Because that's how you make it in the long run. And so we need to make sure that we're not serving out of obligation but jubilation. Listen to this. In 1939, Lou Gehrig, shout out to you, Pastor New York Yankee. Lou Gehrig set the record for the most consecutive games played for a major league baseball player at 2,130 games. Can you imagine going to work 2,130 days in a row and not missing a day? Some of you guys, you don't like your bosses, you don't like your coworkers, let's be real, okay? You don't want to be in that situation. It was a streak that was deemed unbreakable. No one could ever, no one would ever touch that record. But 56 years later, Cal Ripken Jr. for the Baltimore Orioles, he did just that. He broke that record. But he didn't just break the record. He surpassed it by 500 games, by over 500 games. And when he was reminiscing about that, he said this, I never told the managers I'm going after the record, so put me in the lineup. He said, I just, I just wanted to play. The streak was never about the streak. It was about giving all I could 
for the team that I love. Church, it's hard to have meaningful longevity in Christ if you're not motivated by love. Worship team. Now we look at the last part of the story. The father's response. Going back to verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Parents, there's a really good lesson here. This older child was in the wrong, clearly in the wrong. Bitterness, resentment, selfish. Think about this. The father, he just got his son back. They're throwing this amazing party for him. He finds out there's actually another lost son. He's out in the field. And the father, he leaves the celebration. This is how good God is. Okay, understand this. This is how amazing his love is. He leaves them. He doesn't scold his older son. He doesn't yell at his older son. He doesn't demean his older son. He pleads with them. Think about that. His response is full of compassion, full of kindness. When Kayla was younger, if she would get really upset, I could just say, but I got ice cream. And that would be enough. Now that she's older, I could say, Kayla, I got ice cream. And she'll say, I don't want ice cream. And she'll storm off. And part of me is like, well, that's more ice cream for me, so that's good. But the father leaves the celebration. And here's what he says. Verse 31, he says, my son, even just that address right there, that affirmation, you know who you are. You're my son. I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten about you. You're my son. He said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so what the father did, when he says, you are always with me, is he's redirecting the son's perspective in kindness, in gentleness, in compassion. He's saying, no, 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 son, son, look at me. You're always with me. And see, there are moments in our walk with God where we look around the people around us and we, and we say, man, but, but they got the promotion and, 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 and they're getting married and they're having the baby and they got engaged and, and they get to do ministry this way. And, and with, it seems like the blessing is there and it's there and it's there and it's behind us and it's everywhere around us, but it's not here. And then the father says, but I am the blessing." And I'm with you. And this is what Moses understood in Exodus chapter 33, where he goes before God and he says to God, God, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Now understand that God was laying out for them the, the actual promised land. 
the actual land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was there in their sights. But Moses says, but if you don't go, I don't want that. Because the blessing is where you are. Here's how we're going to close and we're going to take communion in a little bit. I think one of the most fascinating parts of this section, this passage in the Bible, is that the Father says to the Son, I'm with you. You're with me. I'm the blessing. I'm what you need. Everything I have is yours. I haven't forgotten about you. You're my son. But we had to celebrate because your brother was dead. Now he's alive. And you know the, the best part of this story is that it ends right there. I think what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, I think what Jesus is saying to us when we have those Pharisaical attitudes in our hearts is he's saying, you finish the story. We don't know. We don't know what that older son did. We don't know if he went back into the house. We don't know if he continued in his bitterness and he stayed outside. So I want us to close our eyes for just a minute. Everyone in the room. Some of you, you feel like God has forgotten about you. You feel like there's no blessing in your life. You feel like it's only chaos. There's feelings of jealousy and envy when you see God pouring blessings out on other people. Guys, I've been there. Okay. It's so easy to go there. We serve and, and we think God owes us something. And here, here's the hard part, because I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you have the boldness to just, I'm not going to call you out, have you come to the front, but if that's you, would you just let me know by raising your hand so that I can pray for you. Amen. See those hands. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you because in our brokenness, when we feel bitter, when we feel jealous, when there's envy, when there's strife, when there's unhealthy expectations, God, you don't come to shame us. You don't come to break us. You come to put your arms around us. And so for these who raise their hands, for those of us who who may end up there if we're not careful. Father, I pray that right now you would reveal your love towards them. Reveal your love towards us. Remind us that we are yours. Remind us that the blessing, the true blessing, is your nearness. It's your friendship. It's your presence. And I pray, God, that we would remain in that attitude of that younger son 
realizing where we've come from, realizing how you have saved us so that we can serve not out of obligation but jubilation, so that we can serve out of love for Jesus. Amen. Ushers, if you would come forward. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as they pass out the elements, I'm going to ask that you just continue in this state of prayer. If that's you, if that's been you, I want to encourage you. Have a conversation this morning with your father. Have a conversation with our amazing God. Worship team. Pieces broken and scattered, and mercy gathered, mended and whole. Empty handed, but not forsaken. I've been set free, I've been set free.
stand together as we sing the chorus? I can see you now. Oh, I can see the taking communion because it reminds me that at the end of the day, no matter how many times I've been up here, no matter what I've done for the kingdom, at the end of the day, all of us, every pastor, every elder, every deacon, we're in need of the same Savior. The Bible says, Whoever's forgiven much will love much. And what happens so many times is as we get closer to God, as we do more for the kingdom, we forget how much we've been forgiven and our love grows cold. And communion is that, that reminder that at the end of the day, I still need Jesus. It's a reminder of our brokenness and brokenness is the pathway to grace and grace the door to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, your unconditional love, that while we were sinners, you died for us. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We thank you that he paid that incredible debt, that he carried that incredible weight that we could never carry, that we could never pay. Because of your grace and your love, we don't have to repay. So we take this communion, we take the body, we take the blood in remembrance of you. Take and eat. Church, God bless you. Again, if it's your first time, please stop by guest services. If you want to sign up to do our laundry, sign up's over there. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday.